before the lesson this morning will be Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that... Holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary is one of the few women in the Bible of which we are given a glimpse from a young lady to an aged mother. She was a simple Jewish girl who would later become the mother of the greatest man who ever lived. On the journey home from the feast in Jerusalem, she anxiously searched for her 12-year-old son amongst the caravan. As she traveled back to Nazareth and finally having found him in Jerusalem in the temple, uh, conversing with the doctors, He was going about his father's business. When he reached the age of 30, no doubt, she proudly watched him preach uh, in the Galilean countryside. Later, she again would grow anxious as she witnessed his mission lead him down a path to certain danger. The emotions that assuredly overcame her as she stood at the foot of the cross are unimaginable. However, the gospel accounts in which we read about Mary are biographical uh, accounts of the life of Jesus, not of her. But within those records, we are allowed to see however slightly into the life of one of the world's greatest women. She was great because her burden was great. And one not just any young woman could carry and maintain. Because we've been blessed with some insight into her life, we learned some great lessons from this godly woman. Now we've witnessed the fortitude of Mary through the recorded events left for us by the Holy Ghost. And her perseverance has taught us some of the most fundamental things in life in the ways in which we can withstand the world and live a life of faithfulness to God. 
The title of the sermon this morning is What a Mother Saw on the Way to the Cross. As followers of God, we do not worship Mary in any way at all, but we do learn from her. And the first thing we will notice this morning is we will endure the strain of life in some way. Now the strain that Mary so faithfully bore was the result of her being chosen by God. Why was she chosen above any other woman in Palestine? Well, in our passage this morning, Luke recorded that she was favored highly by God. What a compliment by a young lady. She was a blessed among women, and God saw a strength within her that most people overlooked. She had the the qualities that God required for Jesus' mother and one that we all ought to possess. She was a moral young lady, Luke 1, 26-38. She was a humble, expectant mother who was full of faith, Luke 1, 46-55. She was an anxious mother, greatly concerned for the safety of her son, Luke 2, 45-52. She was a believer who sought to speak to her son as he was surrounded by the crowd, Mark 3, 31 through uh, 35. She was a mother who was there as he endured the cross of Calvary, John 19, 25 through 27. And most importantly, she was a devout follower of God, Acts 1, 14. Now that isn't usually uh, how it goes, isn't it? Usually in the world today, you do not find people who fit those categories. That's not what the world wants. But that is normally how it goes among the people of God. You have people who are just ordinary, common folks who, what we might call or what the world might call, common, ordinary people who are often overlooked. People look at someone in the world and and they do not appear to be anything special and they're quickly dismissed as useless. That's probably how the world looked at Mary. But when we look below the surface, we're able to find the qualities that God can see all along. But that is common among God's people. There are qualities deep within all of us who follow after God, that we need to dig out and we need to present. We need to allow the world to see that, but more importantly, we need to allow God to see that. Jesus himself was not looked upon as someone out of the ordinary, was he? He wasn't anything that someone would look upon as something special. But God knew something about the future mother of the Savior that others did not. And she was chosen for that. Like those in the past, God still chooses people today. Now, He doesn't arbitrarily choose people for salvation, but He has chosen a people. He's chosen a people for salvation. Peter said, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness... <clears throat> Into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2 9. A people who has been set aside. The good news is we can be a part of that people, 1 Peter 2 9. You see, 
to be a part of that elect people is open to all who choose to be a part of that elect people. That's the good news to the world. We have been chosen if we choose to be a part of the chosen. Peter encouraged his readers, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. And of course, Paul told Timothy that, that God would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of truth, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. And like Mary, we have been chosen by God, and like the Lord's mother, we too have a chore to accomplish in this life. And that chore can be the source of strain at times as well, right? We've been chosen. That can be a strain if we choose to be elected. And when we have that chore to fulfill, that can be a strain. Now notice her chore. Mary was chosen to give physical birth to God's only begotten Son. But she didn't just give birth to the Messiah. She reared Him until He became to, uh, or came to an age of maturity. There's not a greater task in the world than that. Rearing a child all the way in which uh, God demands. God has demanded that, that we rear our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 4. That's not just a good idea, is it? That's a commandment. That's a demand. That's a rule that God has set forth. And if we do not rear our children or bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, then that is something that all parents will stand in judgment for as we look into His eyes on that last day. Though He was God in the flesh, Jesus still had to endure and experience life as a human and all that entails. Notice what the Holy Spirit admonished. Though He were a son, yet He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Hebrews 5.8 That means He had to endure those things. And as He endured those things, He was reared and brought up in a home where He had to learn obedience from his mother. That means he had to learn to be obedient as a child. As a child, he had to learn to do those things. Learned in that context means to learn by use and practice, to be in the habit of. Can you imagine the added strain of knowing your son literally came from God? And He was chosen to be the Savior of the entire world. What a chore to be laid upon the shoulders of a person. Her chore would follow her the remainder of her life. You see, a parent never stops being a parent. A child never stops being a child. And they're never far from our thoughts. It doesn't matter where they live or how old they get, how many children of their own they have, and how responsible they are for someone else. We still love them and we care for them and we worry about them. You know, we recall the event when Christ stayed in Jerusalem while His family was returning to Nazareth 
after the Passover feast, and they had lost their son. And they were searching among the caravan, and uh, no doubt they were scared to death at the thought of something terrible having happened. They were two days without their child. They didn't know where in the world the boy had gotten off to. Well, when they finally found him in the temple, speaking with the doctors of the law, they didn't understand completely why he was there or or what was going on or what had happened. But that was part of being the mother of the Son of God. And they had to place their trust in him. You know, we know what our chore in this life is. Solomon determined. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he said the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. Now that chore begins with obedience to the initial plan of salvation. And we understand what that is because we talk about it all the time and rightly so. We need to understand what the initial plan of salvation is so we can teach other people what that is. We need to talk about faith. We need to talk about this system of faith, right? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That means we can't get it from another source, Romans 10, 17. We need to talk about what that has, what impact that has on us as a hearer, right? What does that do to me? Does that prick my heart or does it cut my heart? It, it can do either one, right? It can prick the heart as it did in Acts 2.38 or it can cut one to the heart as it did in Acts chapter 7. That's what happened when Stephen did the preaching and those people fell upon him and stoned him to death as Saul stood there watching. Now when Peter did the preaching, he had a different audience. He had better soil. They wanted to understand what to do to be saved. See, the other folks didn't care. And so they wanted to repent and be baptized, those that gladly received the Word. And so they did repent and were baptized. That's what repentance causes you to do, right? And they would have confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, Romans 10.10. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did, Acts chapter 8, verse 37, that he lived and died that he was buried, that he rose again, that he rules over his kingdom at this present time. Having been immersed in water, just like Saul, once he heard the gospel and obeyed, having his sins washed away, Acts 22. Being added to the Lord's church, Acts 2.47. Being immersed into Christ. Right, that's the whole point. We need to be able to tell folks that. See, that's how we begin our chore with obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. Have you ever known someone that started a chore and then stopped it? Yeah, we've all known people who've done that. You begin a chore and then you don't finish the chore. Growing up as a child, and we're talking about the mother of Christ, not that he would have done this, but there are children out there that do begin a chore and then they get partly through the chore and then the parent has to come through and encourage them in different ways to carry on with the chore, right? I had to do that a couple of times as I was growing up in my home. I had to be encouraged 
to carry on with the chore, and, and that happens in different ways, doesn't it? Sometimes you have to softly be encouraged, and sometimes it takes other forms, right? Sometimes it takes other forms. I, a lot of the times, my encouragement took that other form. You learn, you remember that one, seems like a little better. Well, the child of God has to be encouraged sometimes by God to come back and finish the chore. We know that is the second law of pardon, right? That happens when the child of God falls away and, and he or she needs to come back and, and they do that through repentance. That's godly sorrow. That's the same thing as through initial obedience. Godly sorrow, being hurt for God that you've done something opposed to what He wants to do and, and you've hurt Him and it hurts you that you've hurt Him. And that causes repentance, the right kind of repentance, right? And you want to ask God to forgive you and you confess that sin and you, and you repent and you pray to Him. Now sometimes that has to take the form of a public repentance. Now, if it's, if it's of a private nature, you go to God privately. But at any rate, that's, what that, that's how those things begin. Through initial obedience and then sometimes through coming back because you haven't finished the chore. And that's how that happens. Mary understood the strain of this life because she saw it. She saw it. But that isn't all she saw. She saw some other things. She saw the strain on the way to the cross, but she also saw slander on the way to the cross. She heard the gossip. She heard the gossip surrounding her son. Throughout his life, the Jews bragged about knowing who their father Abraham was. Now, there was a lot to that statement. There was a lot to that statement. They, they stated that for a lot of different reasons. They wanted to to uh, uh, credit his abilities to Satan. They wanted to say that he didn't get his miraculous ability from God. They didn't want to admit that he was the Son of God. But they did that for other reasons as well. That was an insult insinuating also he didn't know who his father was. His earthly father. That was gossip. Mary knew the facts about the birth of Jesus. She was a righteous woman. She was a pure woman. She knew that she had maintained and had not violated the covenant that she had made with her husband Joseph when they had become engaged to be married. When you became engaged to be married in that Jewish culture, that was just like being married. To break that engagement, you had to have a divorce. She knew she had not violated that, but to to jab and to goad and to be insulting, they would say, we know who our father is. Do you know who yours is? They knew what all the gossip and the slander was. You see, but others would not necessarily believe the facts that she knew so well. Still today, people will deny the miraculous birth of the world's answer to sin. You know, there are prominent religious leaders in the world who deny that, that Jesus' birth was a miraculous virgin birth. Can you believe that? Why bother? If Jesus was not the only begotten Son of God through a miraculous birth, you might as well throw the Bible in the garbage can. 
because none of it matters. She endured the slanderous rumors and gossip about an unplanned pregnancy, but that was the challenge that she bravely and successfully faced. But gossip and slander, was those things were nothing new to the world. After all, that's been going on from almost the beginning of time. We can go back to the garden, right? Satan took it upon himself to begin to gossip and spread lies about God. You remember what he told Eve? Ye shall not surely die. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The Apostle John had to deal with a man who had spread lies and rumors about him and other members of the church. His name was Diotrephes. Here's what he told Gaius, 3 John 10. He said, Therefore if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Now this, this translation of this word, prating against, we do not normally use that, but that means to utter nonsense, talk idly, to bring forward idle accusations, make empty charges, to accuse one falsely with malicious words. But because of her great courage, Mary stood up under the pressure of gossip. And she knew others would try to continue to gossip her and to picket her and to goad her and her son into a life of sin. Now here's what goad means. Goad means to agitate or to be an agitator. Do we see that in the life of Christ? And you know what happened to his mother. We've been given few details when it comes to the family of Mary and Joseph, to their, to their dynamic and their life as a family. But one thing we can be sure of, they were surrounded by people who were not kind to them. We know that was a fact. They put a lot of effort into goading them into sin. Anything they could use and they could do to prove that they were liars and con artists. Anything they could do to to throw a roadblock in front of Jesus, they would do it. Those were the kind of people that they were dealing with. And that's what the Jewish leaders devoted themselves to doing, to cause Jesus to sin or to catch him in some kind of a lie. And if that meant causing his family a problem, that was fine too. And I believe Jesus learned as a boy growing up how the strength of his mother allowed her to endure the strain and the slander that often comes in this life. I think he saw that in her. I think he understood that. Mary, as a mother, saw some very common things in a very unique way on her way to the cross. The final thing we're going to notice is that she saw sorrow. She saw sorrow on the way to the cross. Through that sorrow, Mary saw her son to be someone who was very special and very different from any other child who ever lived. The angel Gabriel told her all the things that Jesus would do, not only for those he would meet during his physical life, but for all those who had ever lived or who ever would live. She must have been confused. Like all those other disciples, when she came to realize that her oldest child was going to die on the cross for crimes that he did not commit. 
It must have been something very difficult for her to understand and for her to accept that this terrible outcome would happen to her oldest child, one who she loved dearly. She saw the sorrow in a very personal way that that announcement brought about. She knew Jesus had been falsely arrested in the garden. She knew the law had been violated when they tried her son at night. She saw how he had been beaten at the hands of sinful people as he suffered the, uh, the crimes, as he was scourged and, and mistreated, the humiliation of those proceedings. She was there when, when he was scourged. She was there as he walked by himself as he carried the cross to Golgotha. She saw the Romans as they drove the nails into his hands and his feet. You know that she was enveloped in all that sorrow as she saw what was being done to her beloved son. But she wasn't the only person who witnessed the heartbreak of those things. God was there as well. He saw all of that and he saw more. The writer of Hebrews warned, If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Hebrews 6, 6. That's why it's so important when one falls away to renew them again under repentance. Now he's not indicating that the Lord is crucified over and over and over as uh, the Catholic denomination teaches in their false doctrines. He was crucified once for the world. But what he is saying is one who willfully sins crucifies for themselves the Son of God again and puts him to an open shame because they disregard that crucifixion as if it were nothing. Mary saw that sorrow. But not only she saw what happened to Jesus, she stood at the cross as it happened. But she didn't just stand with Jesus at the cross, she stood with Him throughout the whole merciless event. She carried the strain, she faced the slander, and she endured the great sorrow set before her, and she never gave up or lost her faith. She stood firm. Now I think something here is something that we never need to forget. She didn't leave early. Have you ever noticed that when you leave early, you always miss something every single time? Her steadfastness showed her the victory. It showed her the victory that Jesus gained over Satan and death as he walked out of the tomb. If we don't leave early, we can witness the victory if we stand firm. Now, like Mary, we'll have to face the realities of this life as we travel its pathways. But as long as we show patience, and we allow God to work in us and through us, we will gain the very crown of which John wrote about. Or excuse me, James. Notice what James said, James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Mary is one of the great servants we read about in the Bible. When God called upon her to shoulder that great responsibility of being the earthly mother of Jesus, she did it. And she did it without argument. She did it without resistance. She simply and humbly received the plan and accepted it. And she did not leave early. When we learn about God's plan, shouldn't we just simply and humbly receive it and accept it and not leave early without argument and in humility? I think Mary is a great example of just how to accept God on His terms. And if we're willing, we can learn from her as we see what she saw on the way to the cross as she stood up to the strain, the slander, and the sorrow. What a mother saw on the way to the cross. If you stand in need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, do that as we stand and as we sing.